The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Second down and goal for Iowa. Wadley the tailback. Smith Marset in motion. Stanley to throw to the end zone. Touchdown! Iowa wins! Smith Marset with the grab! What a comeback! He fumbled on his first and only touch in week one, and Smith Marset has won it for the Hawkeyes. And how about the throw by Nathan Stanley to put it on time, on target, and we think in this football game. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' 44-41 overtime win at Iowa State and previews this week's Iowa-North Texas game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and the Mean Green's Seth Luttrell. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of Land of Ten and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Jumeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Jason Bonetti and Kelly Stouffer. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeye's mic programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. Iowa returns to Kinnick Stadium Saturday to host the University of North Texas Mean Green in a Big Ten Conference USA matchup. That closes out the non-conference season for the Hawkeyes. Iowa has defeated Wyoming at home and Iowa State on the road. UNT topped Lamar in its season opening game at its home, then lost last week at SMU. This is only the second time these two teams have faced each other. Iowa won the first game in Iowa City in 2015 by a score of 62 to 60. When Dan McCarney still coached the Mean Green, Kirk Ferentz is in his 19th season as the Hawkeyes head man with a career record of 149 and 113 and a 137 and 92 record at Iowa. Seth Luttrell is in just his second year as the Mean Green's head coach. His record over that period of time, six and nine. This game will be on ESPN2. That's back-to-back weeks for Iowa with announcers Anish Sharaf and Ahmad Brooks. As usual, the game will be broadcast on the Hawkeye Radio. Radio Network with Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. It will also be available on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 195, and Sirius 135. The weather forecast for Iowa City on Saturday includes the potential for breaking a 62-year-old record with a high temperature predicted of 91 degrees. Kickoff is set for 2.30 p.m., right at the height of the heat. Ferentz is the longest tenured active head coach in college football. His 137 wins in all games coached as a member of the Big Ten is sixth in conference history. His 82 Big Ten wins also ranks sixth. Ferentz is just six wins away from tying Hayden Fry as the Hawkeyes' all-time winningest football coach. Game notes this week, Iowa's teams under Ference have finished in the Associated Press top 10 five times so far. Surprisingly, the Hawkeyes did so with first-year starters at quarterback in four of those years. C.J. Beathard, Drew Tate in 2004, Nate Chandler 2003, and Brad Banks in 2002. Of course, Nate Stanley is also a first-year starter this season. Another tidbit, both of Kirk's Big Ten championships have been with first-year starting quarterbacks. Stanley's eight touchdown passes in his first two games as a starter is more than any QB under Ference. Those eight TDs also lead the Big Ten and are third nationally. Running back Akram Wadley is just three yards away from becoming the 15th player in program history to rush for 2,000 or more career yards. He accounted for 260 all-purpose yards at Iowa State last week. He's averaging 203 all-purpose yards per game. That is second best in the Big Ten, fourth nationally. And line 
linebacker Josie Jewell has a team leading 21 tackles, which ranks third in the conference. Under Luttrell, North Texas is 5-0 when his teams lead at the half, but just 1-9 when trailing midway through. Luttrell took charge of the Mean Green last year, taking over from former Iowa star and assistant coach Dan McCarney, who was fired after suffering through a 1-11 season in 2015. UNT is averaging a whopping 79 plays per game. It has gained 53 first downs. That ranks 16th best in the country. It had six explosive plays of 20 yards or more last week at SMU, all via the pass. And the Mean Green are sitting on 499 program wins, needing just one more to reach the 500 mark. One of the key questions this week, is the North Texas contest essentially the definition of a trap game for the Hawkeyes, sandwiched between Iowa State last Saturday and Penn State next week? The Prefense Defensive Player of the Week for the Iowa State game, pickings were a bit slim, but we went with Parker Hesse. His pick and 13-yard return late in the fourth quarter was critical. Iowa almost certainly does not win that game, but for that play. He also had a career-high seven tackles. Prefence hand sanitizer and surface protectant. Remember, the best defense is Prefence. And the TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal Coach of the Week from the Iowa State game, well, that choice was easy. Offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz for constructing last week's offense. He's growing fast in this position as a play caller, moving away in particular from Iowa's historical tendencies out of certain formations. He's mixed things up, and the game-winning play call in overtime was brilliant. I think it's safe to say that Iowa State never expected that pass with a power formation and 10 men in the box. TNK K roofing and sheet metal, building strong, building safe since 1962. All right, I'm out of here. Uh, I hear that asteroids machine call my name from the game room, so peace. Park to throw, and it's intercepted, picked off by Iowa. Parker Hesse with a huge turnover for the Hawkeyes. Oh, my. Hesse was a defensive end, comes up inside, tackle loops outside, and then Hesse just has a heads up to find the football if you're not getting close to the quarterback. And Jacob Parker just simply did not see the defender on that shallow crossing route. First turnover of the game. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about this version of the North Texas Mean Green team Iowa hosts on Saturday. You know, every game brings a new challenge, and certainly North Texas does that. Uh, like a year ago, or last week, excuse me, we're playing a, uh, a team that's got a second-year coaching staff, uh, and they've done a really nice job there. So they come in here with a high-tempo offense uh, that operates uh, very efficiently, very effectively. Uh, it really isn't like anything we've seen this year, and uh, certainly isn't like the offense that they brought in here a couple of years ago when we played them. So that, that's a challenge in itself. Uh, they were a bowl team last year. Again, they're well-coached, got an air raid type attack. Defensively, they play a 34, which we have not uh, worked against the 34 this year. So that also presents a new set of challenges. And I think just overall, they've got really good team speed. Uh, they've got really good skilled players. Uh, really impressed with their quarterback, the way he uh, moves their offensive football team. So, you know, we got a lot to work on at this point. Uh, I know they'll be ready. Our, our job is to make sure that we're ready for that challenge. Ferentz was asked about Mean Green quarterback Mason Fine and the spread air attack that North Texas runs. He's a really good player and uh, you know just watching him on tape he reminds me a lot of that actually McGloin from uh, Penn State five years ago yeah and it's like a lot of their skill guys they're not real big guys but he's a, he's a really good quarterback he makes good decisions he's, he's really fast efficient uh, he'll run the ball he throws it where it needs to go and he gets it there quickly so you know if you leave some uh, somebody open he's going to find that guy and get the ball there pretty pretty effectively so it's going to be a big challenge for us this is out of the the Mike Leach air raid family and uh, you know they play at a high tempo uh, they know what they're doing. They know where to go and, you know, pose a lot of threats for you. Quarterback runs, you know, they've got a real well-conceived offense. But most importantly, the quarterback's a really good trigger guy. Iowa's defense struggled against Iowa State's up-tempo offense last Saturday. And going into this week's game facing yet another fast offense, Kirk was asked what concerned him the most about Phil Parker's defense versus the Cyclones. Yeah, there are a couple things that took place. Um, some of them were just, you know, good plays by good players, and there's nothing you can do about that. So, 
you know, if you're in position and you get, uh, you know, they make a play, you know, they got guys on scholarship too and they got good guys. So that, that's going to happen. That's football. Uh, the ones that we can coach and correct, that's really where our focus has to go. So the mental errors, you know, where we might have uh, taken the cheese or, you know, just done some things that weren't uh, sound enough, you know, that, that's, that's the stuff that you got to grow through. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of young players, especially in the back end right now. So those are the things you have to experience. We experienced them last year early in the season, learned from them. And that, that's really the key moving forward is how much do we learn? You know, what can we do there? And th this is a similar challenge, only it's different. You know, they don't have the size. This team doesn't have the si size at the skill positions, uh, but they've, they've certainly got really good speed. They've got guys that are really dangerous and uh, running backs included. So, you know, they're, they're going to really test us and pace in itself. The tempo is another factor. And then the quarterbacks are really He's a good player. It was reported this week that Ferentz gave Akram Wadley video to watch of former Hawkeye great Ronnie Harmon. Kirk was asked how Wadley compares to Harmon. You know, the comparison probably there would be that uh – you know, Akram does some stuff with the ball in his hands that, that none of us can coach. We'd love to, but uh, you can't coach or give that to a guy. Ronnie was the same way. Yeah, and I think they're similar in the fact that, uh, you know, Ronnie's one of the tougher, more competitive guys I've ever been, been around anywhere at any any place I've ever coached. You know, I mean, he was a tough-minded guy. And Akram likes playing. Like, you know, that, that was a full day's work he got in the other day, probably more than he need, needed, but we needed him. You know, so, and that, that last touchdown he scored, I mean, that was... That was a lot of individual effort. And Ronnie had some of those similarities too. Uh, Ronnie wasn't as skinny as uh, as, as Akram, and part of part of my thinking there would be, like you know, we'd like to wear you out this year just like we wore uh, Harmon out, you know, in '85, and that was good coaching, by the way. You know, so that that's. That was kind of the plan there. Like, you know, we need you to be this kind of guy that we can really, uh, you know, give the ball to a lot. And Ronnie Harmon is one of the greatest players I've ever been around. You know, you think about the way he impacted that, that team. And we had a really good football team, but, you know, he was a big, big part of that. Ferentz was asked about the progress his offense has made in the first two games and what it has a chance to be with the offensive weapons that were displayed in Ames last Saturday. The big thing is we didn't turn it over. We had one loose ball and we recovered that. So uh, that, that, you know, really hurt us that first week and on two fronts. First of all, uh, if you turn it over, you're not going to win by rule. Secondly, when you turn it over, you can't, you can't be making yards. You can't, you know, move the chains, those types of things. So I think we have a chance to have some balance, but, you know, we're, we're hardly out of the woods. I mean, we got a lot of work to do right now and, um, you know, a lot of things that we got to get better at, more proficient at. But a positive for sure was Nate Stanley. I think, you know, looked a lot more comfortable out there. He looked like he was, I mean, he made some beautiful throws and, uh, you know, the guys helped him out, which always helps too. So, you know, it looked like we have a chance maybe to function, but we're, we're not there yet. And with the Big Ten's release of the 2020-2021 schedules this past week, replacing the Black Friday game against Nebraska with a season ender versus Wisconsin, Kirk was asked what he thought of that change. My, my first response would be, big news is your words, not mine. Okay, they, I'm not going to author that one. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're playing 12 games. That's all I know. Nine of them are going to be Big Ten games, and they'll all be tough. That's my guess. So, yeah, we'll play them as they come. Personally, I like playing on Black Friday. I think that's great for a lot of reasons. And uh, one selfish reason, which ties into, you know, why I was against starting camp in July. And it's not like I'm going anywhere. I haven't left Iowa other than, you know, recruiting and stuff like that. But, you know, my vacation was in my backyard this year. So I was here in July anyway. It didn't affect my life a heck of a lot. But believe it or not, that, that little window Friday, you know, when you, especially if you play at home, you know, guys can walk out of here, you know, Friday before uh, 6 o'clock. And the ones that live locally get to go home and actually, you know, maybe eat some turkey with their family, stuff like that, stuff they used to do 10 years ago in college. But uh, so selfishly, that's, that's another reason I think it's a pretty good deal. But, you know, we'll, we'll play them as they come. You know, I'm not too worried about that. What I am worried about is, you know, how we play here at 2.30 on, uh, on Saturday, 2.35 Saturday. Iowa Athletics Director Gary Barta also responded to questions after Kirk's presser and discussed those changes in the conference schedule and replacing Nebraska with the Badgers. No conspiracy, no, no precipitation of, of anything other than a rotation. I think you're seeing it as a big story, and it's a rotation that's been going on in the Big Ten for many, many years. It doesn't feel like a divorce to me, so it, it just feels like a rotation. I'm glad it's against a border state. I'm glad it's a trophy game because I think uh, you know there have been some big moments against Wisconsin, and my guess is there will be more big moments 
moments in the future. You know, I think we've, as a Big Ten, we've released those two years, and those are the two years we're focused on. And it's funny, you know, I, I, I get wanting to ask Kirk mm. about a schedule three or four years from now. Right now, I promise you, that's the last thing on his mind. But he was aware it was coming, and uh, it's a rotation, and, you know, he means what he says. Yeah. We'll play him in the order they send him to us, and you know, it's, it's, it's not a divorce. It's not, mm. you know, Minnesota, and Nebraska, I mean, Nebraska, nor Iowa requested it. It's just part of a rotation. In my opinion, I think the game against Nebraska will always be big because it's on our border. Whether we play it in the first game, the last game, uh, I don't I don't think this changes anything there. I think the fact that our fans get the opportunity. What I like about the new setup is our fans have the opportunity to drive to so many games that, that have a trophy associated with them. They have, a, they have a lot of history. Nebraska's history is shorter, but playing a border s- school, playing Minnesota, playing Nebraska, playing Wisconsin, it's good for our fans to be able to drive to those, whether they're the first game or the last game. I don't think that'll that'll change things. Nothing has been decided whether we'll play the Wisconsin game on Saturday or Friday. That's to be determined. The, the discussion that, that got us to, to Black Friday with Nebraska right. involved the conference, television, Iowa, and Nebraska. Anything that would look like that going forward with Wisconsin would be the same thing. Okay. It would be the Big Ten, it would be TV, it would be us in Wisconsin. But that hasn't occurred yet. Next, we hear from North Texas head coach Seth Luttrell, who was asked for his assessment of the North Texas 54-32 loss at SMU last weekend after reviewing the video. It's never as good as ever as bad, right? Uh, I think defensively up front, I thought we played very well. Our D-line really controlled the line of scrimmage. They had 99 yards rushing, but 47 of that was based upon a poor call. I think up front, they, they shut down the run. I thought they... Uh, they hit the quarterback. Uh, they put pressure on the quarterback. I don't think there was any issues there. Uh, I thought the back end would play poor. Some of that uh, Sutton. Uh, he's a really good receiver, but some of that's on us as well. So we just got to get better on the back end. Uh, offensively, uh, you know, you, you look at that game, you have, you have three turnovers. They got 21 points off three turnovers. Uh, we get none off their turnovers, so they beat us by 22 points. Can't turn the ball over. Again, we've had consecutive weeks with muff pumps. I think going down there in the first drive, you look at it, or excuse me, uh, right before the first half, you know, have a chance to get some points there. Ended up throwing, uh, throwing an interception, and I, I think I would put that on, on coaches as much as Mason. Uh, you're in that situation on a plus 38. Probably just uh, you know maybe run the ball there, get it to four down territory if you know you're going to go for it anyway. You know, you put them in that situation, and it, it happened. And uh, we got to learn as coaches and grow as coaches and as players. Uh, at the same time, you know, after that, we took one snap. Uh, we're down seven. We take one snap, uh, one play on offense, and we're down 28. A lot of things went bad there for a little bit. You know, it, it just seems like it, it snowballed on us there in that kind of the end of the first half and the beginning of the, the second half. Uh, once we overcame it, we were fine. We got back in the rhythm, moved the football. Uh, we come out after halftime. We have a three and out and muff bomb. Again, we, we got we to play smarter. We can't turn the football over, and we got to get off the field third downs I mean that's key so explosive play battles usually if you if you win the explosive play battle and you win the turnover battle you win the game uh, we won the explosive play battle we didn't win the, we didn't win the turnover margin Latrell was also asked about the difficulty his offense had in establishing the running game versus SMU especially after it got behind we weren't great up front in the run game but some of that's what they do you know they're going to load the box they're going to play those low safeties and they're going to fit the run so they're going to you're going to have an extra a lot of times uh, but that's why you can create some play action and, and get down the field on them as well. So uh, one thing they take away, they give up on another area. And so we got to take what the defense gives us at times. But we still got to do a better job of, of running the football and establishing the run game. And that's something uh, we did a good job in week one. Didn't do it so much in, in, in this past game. Now some of it, you know, you get down like that. We didn't establish it early. And then you got down and again, you start the second half, you're down by 28 you know, you're going to have to do some different things to try to get back in the football game as well. Latrell was asked about Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley's passing with eight touchdowns through the first two games versus his North Texas defensive secondary, especially given its play in the loss to SMU last week. We need to play much better at the back end. Uh, we got to be more disciplined. we got to, you know, have our eyes in the right spots, make sure our eye discipline is really good, you know, because they're going to pound it, pound it, you know, get some play action shots. So you got to be very disciplined in what you do on the back end. That's something that we really need to work on this week. Latrell was asked about Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, now the longest-serving head coach in the FBS. 
Oh, he, he's an unbelievable coach. You know, having played against him, you know, having known him through Coach Stoops, kind of through that tree, Iowa tree, and uh, he does an unbelievable job. His, his teams are always well coached. They're, they're sound in their schemes. And they're not going to beat themselves. They're going to play a physical brand of football, line up. And they're very physical on both sides of the ball. They're going to force you to. Uh, they're going to force you to, you know, have to make competitive plays in order to be in the game. And Coach Latrell was asked about Iowa's defense. What you see is what you get. It's not like you know, you're playing against something that, that you haven't seen before. I mean, they're lined up in a four-man front. They're going to be gap sound. They're very strong up front. Their front four, are, uh, they're always strong. They're, they're technically sound. They use their hands great. They're gap sound on, on the structure of the defense. And, and uh, they play physical. It's not something that, you know, they're going to out-scheme you or anything. They're going to, they're going to do what they do. They're, they're, they know what they know what gives them problems. Uh, you know they know because of what they do. There's only so much you can do to try to expose them, and they've seen it all over the years. They see what people are trying to attack, and they're really good about coaching their players up on how guys are going to attack them. And they just play they play their their defense, and they're very they're very disciplined uh, in what they do. Now it's time to hear from Iowa players as they prepare to face the North Texas Mean Green. First, quarterback Nate Stanley, who was asked about his overthrows at Iowa State and some of the things he still needs to work on. I mean, I think just continue to develop timing with the receivers, uh, tight ends. You know, I think uh, the course of the game, we just got a little, little bit too excited in those situations. So just to, to dial it back a little bit and continue to work on those plays in practice. A lot of stuff to work on still, um, you know, obviously missing some of those throws but then also uh, some communication stuff with receivers, um, you know, and just continue to, to work on my footwork. Decision making and, uh, you know, at the quarterback position, accuracy with, with your throws and just continuing to work on, on footwork uh, will help with accuracy and obviously decision making, being prepared, using the game plan uh, to your advantage. So just being able to continue to build on those, those stepping stones. And Stanley talks about his composure late in the fourth quarter and in overtime at Iowa State. At the quarterback position, all eyes are on you. So, I mean, you got to have a pretty even keel demeanor throughout the whole game. And, and uh, you got to be able to to rely on your teammates and, and know that they have your back and that you have theirs. So um, just having the trust of your teammates uh, really helps, helps be even keel and uh, go out there and make plays. Next, we hear from running back Akram Wadley, who was asked about his workload at running back through the first two games. It's a, it's, it's a good thing, you know. Um, they trust. They, they got. They, they got a lot of trust in me. We talk about, you know, getting other guys in the game. You know, James. He has some really explosive plays. He caught one out of the backfield one time. Broke about two, three tackles. He went like beast mode. And um, he need to play more. And we, we're gonna, we're gonna make that happen. And Wadley talks about how he and fellow running back James Butler interact during the course of a game. Um, we just, you know, if I start to drive out, um, I come back to the bench. I tell him like, this is what they're doing. You know, like last week, um, I came off, you know, they, they came out ready. You know, I'm, they, they getting after that ball. So, you know what I'm saying? Just 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 keep, just just be aware and um, protect yourself. And whenever he go in, he do the same thing. What, what do you see, you know? Oh, he always asks me, what do I see? And I ask him that. And we just feed off each other uh, explanations and details. And last this week, we hear from linebacker Josie Jewell, who was asked if he expects to see other teams on Iowa's schedule try to run some of the offense schemes that Iowa State used with considerable success last Saturday in Ames. Yeah, I'm sure some of the 11, 10 uh, personnel guys will try that. Uh, they'll try to run it against us just because that's their forte right. and that's what they kind of run. Um, but sure, you know, if people see your weakness or sometimes something you don't do right, uh, they'll try to attack it even more. But, you know, I think this week we've tried to try to fix those certain things. I think we've done a good job at that. Stanley scanning. Stanley over the middle. Wadley got past Lanning. Akram Wadley inside the red zone. Wadley could go! Wadley! Touchdown, Iowa! Oh, mercy! Akram Wadley, a 46-yard catch and run to give the Hawkeyes life. What a game this has been. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy! (laughs) How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard! 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. 
Time now for our Reporter's Notebook segment this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the Iowa State game and previews this Saturday's game with North Texas, discussing Iowa's punch list for success in Kinnick Stadium. Steve, let's do a quick look back. Iowa 44, Iowa State 41 in overtime in Ames. Cyhawk Trophy come from behind victory for the Hawks. Certainly one of the most exciting games in that series. And six lead changes and two ties. Absolutely. Uh, terrific football game unless you're a defensive coordinator. And then you probably didn't sleep too well Saturday night. But, uh, you know, certainly uh, I think a week of growth in a lot of ways for the Hawkeyes. I think that it was uh, on the offensive side of the ball, certainly the poise uh, displayed by Nathan Stanley at quarter back was big the way that uh, you know he was able to kind of stand up and spread the ball around to, to nine receivers uh, that, that certainly was uh, an improvement and and uh, you know a sign that this offense is developing a little bit and then between the uh, you know the running uh, and receiving a back from Lotley and and uh, you know what we saw from from uh, some true freshmen including uh, Amir uh, Smith Marset I think uh, a, a lot to like about what happened uh, at least on the offensive side of the ball in aim uh, uh, defensively, uh, missed a few too many tackles, certainly. It was uh, a challenging day against some very good skilled players from Iowa State, and uh, you know they deserve a little bit of the credit, too, for creating some of those headaches for the Hawkeyes, but uh, uh, some work this week to kind of clean up uh, some of the tackling issues and that type of thing, and, and some of that's part of a, a growth process, too, on the back end of that defense in particular. There's some, some room for improvement, and uh, that's what this time of the year is about. Stanley's 333 yards against the Iowa State defense it was only the fourth time in history that an Iowa quarterback's thrown for over 300 yards, five touchdowns, nine different receivers. He's thrown eight touchdowns in the first two games, and Iowa only has one running touchdown. Who would have ever predicted that? Yeah, that's certainly not something anybody would have seen coming heading into the season with all of the questions you know, that Iowa had about its receivers. And I, I think we probably all discussed a little too little about uh, the, the pass-catching abilities of some of those tight ends, and, and uh, certainly I think that's been a beneficial thing as uh, as with the running backs. Uh, you know, Akram had uh, four catches on Saturday, so, you know, a solid game for him, and, and and it just adds versatility to that offense, and and it also allows some of the uh, some of the younger guys that at, at both the receiver spots, and, and you know a guy like T.J. Hawkinson who who uh, arrived at Iowa with a ton of uh, pass catching credentials, and uh, uh, now playing the tight end spot to uh, to kind of ease their way into things. And I thought we saw some real growth there last weekend. Another sort of ho hum game for Akram Wadley, merely accounting for 190 of Iowa's 497 yards of total offense. That uh, 46 yard catch and run was electrifying and the fact that Iowa had three touchdown drives of 90 yards or more and one that went 89 that was very impressive and they're probably going to need some of those drives this week yeah absolutely I think that's uh, it's a good positive step forward and those are the type of drives that, that really give an offense confidence you know as it kind of grows and develops and you could just sense at times uh, during that game that uh, you know that that Stanley was very comfortable back there at the controls. Uh, he was seeing the field well, working through his reads and, and uh, doing what it took to move the offense. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's a needed step and part of the process. Now, there were other times in the game when things got bogged down a little bit. And, you know, those times provide uh, some, some learning opportunities as well. So, you know, I, I thought it was a good day all around for, for the offense to, to kind of uh, get its legs under it a little bit and, and uh, uh, you know, build off of what transpired uh, the previous week against Wyoming. Uh, you know, it was nice to see a fairly clean game from a turnover standpoint. I think that's uh, certainly, a, uh, you know, progress from week one. And uh, uh, again, it, it's the type of thing that you're looking for in that kind of incremental growth that uh, that will lead Iowa into, uh, you know, to bigger challenges that lie ahead. Listening to the players talk post-game and then again Tuesday during the media availability, the fact that the Iowa team and, and Stanley in particular was able to demonstrate that resilience and coming from behind the productivity they showed late in the fourth quarter and into overtime. For a young team, young at skill players, certainly that has to be a big plus for this team going forward, especially getting into the Big Ten games on the road. Yeah, it just creates a mindset. Uh, you know, we saw it a couple years ago with C.J. Beathard in, in the same game over at Iowa State where Iowa was down at halftime and, and Beathard came out in the second half and uh, used both his arm and his feet at times 
Simmons to kind of get Iowa back into that game and will them to a victory. And, you know, and, and I think that benefited him moving forward. And I think uh, this effort, you know, similarly for Nate Stanley, is going to have the same type of impact. Uh, you know, when when he goes into a, a road venue at, at, at Northwestern or, or later on at Wisconsin or Nebraska, the challenges won't be quite as, as daunting maybe as they would be without that lack, without success that uh, had happened earlier. Let's turn to Iowa hosting North Texas. The Saturday Kinnick Stadium, a 2.30 p.m. kickoff. That's lots of tailgating time before then, and that's probably going to be complicated by the fact weather forecasters are saying Iowa could break a 62-year-old record with a high of 91. So that has the potential to impact multiple parts of this game. But the Hawkeyes, of course, 2-0. North Texas 1-1. and They kind of had a big lopsided win in their opener and then a lopsided loss last week versus SMU. So let's talk about Iowa's punch list for their offense versus the North Texas defense. Certainly, uh, you know, Iowa is going to be challenged by a, a little bit of a defensive uh, different look. Uh, North Texas lines up in a 3-4 front. That's something the Hawkeyes haven't seen this season. Another chance for Nate Stanley to kind of, uh, you know, learn on the job against, uh, you know, some challenges that they'll face down the road with the three-man front. And uh, This is a, a, a good opportunity, I think, for the Iowa offense to, uh, you know, to kind of experiment a little bit against that look. And uh, it's something they'll see later on. It's something Nebraska has, has went to this this season as well. North Texas will throw a little more quickness probably at Iowa than what it has seen so far this season. And, uh, you know, certainly I think that'll be part of the challenge for the offense to to uh, to work a little more efficiently and, and quickly to, to, uh, to make the most of that. Through the first two games, the Ming Green defense has given up a lot of yards and a lot of points. They're giving up nearly 380 yards per game and 34 points. The points is 105th nationally, so they have their challenges. Uh, no question. I, I think when you take a look at what they've done defensively, it's, it's one of the reasons they were 5-8 and eight a year ago in, in, in Seth Luttrell's uh, first year at the helm there. And uh, You know, it, it's kind of a work in progress. They've been a little mistake. They've had uh, penalty issues. Uh, one of the things that he talked about this week was, uh, you Know, developing uh, a little more discipline and uh, not necessarily uh, any less aggression. He, he talked more about just pre-snap penalties and, and post-play uh, penalties being the main issue that uh, that that defense needs to work up to work on this week. He, he thinks that uh, you know the, the you know the pass interference calls that they've had and some things like that are are are, are fine compared to the mistakes that they're making right now. Just in some of those fundamental discipline-type situation. They lost one of their best defenders during a preseason practice, uh, defensive tackle Bryce English. Given the problems they've had in the defensive secondary, it's a little surprising because they have two solid players in the defensive backfield, both potential all-conference and safety Kashawn McLean and cornerback Nate Brooks, and yet their opponents have had a lot of success against those guys. Yeah, it's it's the type of thing, I think, where those guys have been in a position to make a lot of plays because they've, uh, they've been challenged a lot. And, and I think that uh, this is a group that uh, it's kind of a mix of, of young and old guys. He's, he's playing, uh, uh, you know, some underclassmen that uh, I think probably uh, would be, you know, a, a bigger part of their program moving forward. But uh, uh, this defense uh, appears to be kind of a work in progress. They've got a couple of other uh, other kind of quasi-veteran guys. William O'Masters uh, uh, is a guy who's, who's put up some decent numbers so far as is Kimon uh, uh, Hall. At, at uh, you know in the secondary, and it's a uh, you know it's a group that uh, rotates a lot of people in and out, and it uh, it should be a fairly solid uh, test for uh, for Nate's family, and and uh, likewise it'll be a, an equally challenging test for for this North Texas team that uh, uh, really struggled in the first half last week against SMU, the 28 point game at halftime, and and uh, that, that tells you what kind of start they got off to. Given the heat and the forecast you think Iowa will want to establish the run early, eat time off the clock. Maybe the best defense for the Hawkeyes Saturday will be keeping the mean green offense on the sidelines as much as possible. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think that uh, when you take a look at uh, Iowa's offense, and I think this is a week that Iowa needs to and wants to kind of spread that, that workload around. We've seen Akram Wadley uh, uh, involved quite a bit, 28 carries last week, a career high. You know, Kirk, I think, felt uh, from what he said 
said Tuesday that, that maybe they gave him a little too much to do, and a lot of that was dictated by the situation at, at Iowa State. But, you know, I think this is a week where I will have a chance to get James Butler into, into the mix a little more. I think that's something they want to do and probably need to do heading into Big Ten play. Uh, I also think it's probably a week where we'll probably see Torn Young out on the field a little bit too. And, uh, you know, the, that's that's all good. I think that's uh, something that uh, Iowa needs moving forward. They need to kind of develop that depth at the running back position. And, and uh, it's a long season. And, and uh, you know, Akram will get his carries over the course of time. But uh, I, I don't expect him to carry 28 times again this week. The interesting thing, I think, going into this game for Iowa's offense is, you know, the last couple of years, they have definitely been challenged in terms of the passing game. And whether you can attribute that to a lack of speed for wide receivers, the inability to get separation, or all of the combination of things, uh, play scheming and so forth, boy, they demonstrated against Iowa State, and there's a lot on video now for our upcoming defenses to, to look at, that they can not only pass the ball, that Stanley, they got a quarterback with a strong arm, they've got a lot of guys who can catch the ball. So maybe one of the dilemmas Saturday will be the fact that North Texas, you can expect, probably will sell out to stop the run, but I it appears that Iowa has a chance this year to not let that approach on opposing defenses be as effective as it was to slowing down its offenses in the past. Totally agree, and I think one of the things that I liked out of last Saturday's game, the plays weren't completed, but they weren't afraid to take some shots downfield. Uh, the deep ball isn't there yet. That's still a work in progress, but it appears that Iowa has some receivers who are capable of executing those kind of plays, which is a nice change of pace from past seasons, and a quarterback who can deliver the ball where it needs to be. Timing, not quite there yet. That will come with more reps in practice, but it's also going to force defenses to kind of respect that. That should open some things up inside for the run game at times as well. So, you know, I I think that all kind of fits together. And, uh, um, you know, I like the mix of play calls that we saw last weekend at at Iowa State. I thought uh, Brian Ferentz did a a terrific job of calling the game. And and I think that that's uh, that's something that, uh, you know, moving forward, that balance is going to be pretty important. And uh, uh, I think we saw some, some nice kind of starting moments here of this offense kind of developing right in front of our eyes and uh, it was kind of fun to watch. Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz, they both like that term balance in offense quite a bit. Last week, Iowa ran 41 pass plays and 41 run plays. It doesn't get much more balance than that. We can all add those numbers up, yeah. And, and You know, when they're talking balance, of course, they're talking big picture balance from uh, from September through November and ending up with kind of a fairly even number of, of uh, you know runs and passes and and, and yardage being fairly balanced, although from week to week those numbers might vary quite a bit based on what the opponent is doing. And uh, you know, it's that old scratch word, it's just philosophy that the, that the old coach who came from North Texas, uh, Hayden Fry, brought to Iowa a number of years ago, and uh, you know, it's still every bit as relevant now. You kind of take what the defense is new and and go to work with it. And I think that's going to be the philosophy moving forward too. It's just that right now Iowa has a few more uh, uh, options in its hand, and I think that's a good thing to see. The last thing probably on Iowa's offensive punch list is making sure that the offensive line remains cohesive and effective. Getting juggled again uh, this game due to the horrible injury there to Ike Betker probably ending his career at Iowa. And in fact, this will be the sixth straight game dating back to last year that Iowa's had a different set of offensive line starters. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, just a revolving door up front, and and, you know, and traditionally, you need some cohesion up there to make it all work. And you know, Iowa probably spends as much time as anybody during fall camp, kind of mixing and matching guys at different positions to kind of prepare them for this type of situation. Uh, and, and fortunately, it's it's uh, those guys have been ready when the need has been there. And unfortunately, the need has been there a lot lately. And uh, you know, certainly, uh, you've got a guy uh, in, in in Welsh who who is just seemingly comfortable no matter where he's put in that line and you know that's such a valuable thing 
because you can just move him around where you need him and then kind of mix and match and play to the strengths of those other guys. And it's, uh, you know, he's been terrific when he's had the opportunity to kind of be out at tackle, and, and but he's also been very effective at guard. So, uh, you know, for a guy like, uh, you know, Keegan Render, who's going to bounce around to the other side, and, and Ross Reynolds, who's moving back into the lineup, and, and, and a swing guy in a reserve role, and Boone Myers, who's getting healthy, and will be able to kind of spell Eric Jackson and, and, and Ross Reynolds from time to time. I think that's uh, uh, it's uh, a change again this week, but I think uh, it's something that these guys are used to, and if Iowa can kind of make that work for it, uh, it certainly is a benefit, but uh, you're right, stability uh, in the offensive front, I think, is, is uh, something you desire, but uh, it hasn't been the reality of it for Iowa for quite some time now. And it sounds like Iowa fans may get to see true freshman Tristan Wirfs play sooner rather than later. Certainly, I think that, uh, you know, the, the fact that, that Boone Myers is listed at, at two spots as the backup this week kind of illustrates that the depth on the offensive line isn't quite what it needs to be. And, you know, coaches, as much as they'd hope to uh, to redshirt Tristan this year, I think probably the, the one thing that, uh, you know, they've also kind of counted on was the fact that injuries might impact that decision. And uh, I think the other thing impacting the decision is that Tristan Worse is a, is a heck of a football player. And he, he's kind of forcing their hand in some ways just because he's been somewhat consistent and, and, and somewhat effective in some of the things he does. Kirk said he had some work to do, and that's not to be unexpected for a true freshman, but uh, he, he brings a real attitude to that front, and I think he's going to be a guy that over time is, uh, uh, you know, people are going to be talking about him for a couple of years. After this break, Steve talks the punch list for Iowa's defense and special teams, plus some Big Ten. Stanley lofts it up, end zone, diving try, smith Marset. what a play if it stands, Amir smith Marset into the back of the end zone. Surprising that didn't go to review, every play is reviewed, not every play is stopped, so smith Marset, who fumbled on his first touch last week and didn't get another, has an enormous touchdown for the Hawkeyes in eight. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll-free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low-slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319-848-4191 or toll-free at 1-800-383-7663. Let's turn the page, look at the punch list for Iowa's defense versus the North Texas offense. They term their offense the Air Raid offense. It's averaging 328 passing yards per game. That's 17th nationally. Iowa State's average, for example, is 309 yards per game. They're 16th nationally with 45.5 points per game. Ninth in total offense, 580.5 yards per game. And interestingly, considering that's the kind of attack they run, they're 14th nationally in time of possession, averaging 35.28 seconds a game. Yeah, in some ways it's kind of a ball control offense with with the pass, which uh, they've been so effective that way. They've been able to kind of uh, make some plays and, and, and move the chains uh, through the air as opposed to uh, using the running back. Although the, although they certainly have a you know a qualified rusher as well, and in Jeffrey Wilson, a senior who's uh, averaging 8.5 yards per carry. So when they do move it on the ground, they've been pretty effective at it so far this season. But it's it's an interesting offense. It's it's very explosive. It's something that has the attention of the Iowa defense, which coming off of a little bit of a shaky outing at Iowa State, uh, uh, this probably isn't uh, the best scenario. It's not. It shouldn't be a team that they should be able to simply to show up and play. They're going to have to perform at a pretty high level. So it is a good opportunity for some growth to kind of uh, gauge themselves against uh, compared to uh, you know what they did a week ago. Their other running back is Nick Smith, who's also fairly productive. They typically 
Philly will run out there with just one running back, four receivers. Let's talk about their quarterback, Mason Fine. Iowa's defense needs to figure out some way to try to slow him down. He's not big, 5'11", 180, but he's already completed 648 yards, six touchdowns uh, in these two games. He's very fast. Kirk talked several times last Tuesday about how he can hurt a team with his feet as well as in as his arm. And against SMU, he was 32 of 47 passing, three touchdowns, 424 yards. But in that game, he also threw two costly picks. Yeah, I mean, he has been a little mistake prone. And, you know, he's a second-year guy. He was a uh, an all-freshman guy in Conference USA uh, last season. He, you know, he's an Oklahoma kid, uh, not the tallest kid in the world. And, and uh, you know, I think sometimes that uh, that has played into the hands of the opponents as well. But you know, he's working with a, with a set of, uh, not just a set, but a group of exceptionally fast receivers that uh, will test Iowa in, in a number of ways. And, you know, Mason Fine is a, is a guy that I was going to have to be aware of from the time they step on the football field on Saturday. And he, he certainly has proven that uh, uh, a week ago he can put it up, that 424 yards pops off the paper, and it really doesn't matter who you're playing. Some of that was dictated by time and, and score uh, of last week's game. It got out of control pretty early. So the second half was spent mostly putting the ball in the air for, for uh, North Texas. But uh, he, he certainly was willing to do that and capable of doing that. And he certainly has a group of receivers who seem to be very capable of, of making some plays happen. So it's going to be another test for that young Iowa secondary again. And, uh, you know, they had some growing pains last week, and, and uh, which was to be expected at times. And, and certainly, you know, the challenges may be a little different. Uh, you might not have a 6'5", Alan Lazard, or, or a 6'6", Hakeem Butler to deal with. But uh, you're going to, the challenge this week will be more speed-oriented. But it uh, it's still another test. And, and in some ways, it probably should help Iowa as it prepares for Penn State in another week. Now, I'm sure in the punch list for the Hawkeyes' defense prep for this game, they're looking at how to substitute more effectively than they were able to against Iowa State, where the Cyclones' tempo really created substitution issues for the Hawkeyes' defense. Now, that could be even worse this Saturday against North Texas, and you got the 91-degree the projected high. So you assume the Hawkeyes are going to try to flex out of their base 4-3, employ multiple formations, probably see a lot more nickel and dime packages against those four receivers, and especially the three top receivers for North Texas, Jalen Guyton, Michael Lawrence, and Jaylion Darden. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they've got uh, some kids who who are certainly going to uh, keep the Hawkeyes occupied, and and you're right. Nickel and dime will be the, uh, you know, that'll be the change of the day on on Saturday, but, uh, you know, I I think part of it with Iowa, too, is is frankly, the the focus this week to a degree has just been getting on back to some, some good fundamentals that um, you know, linebacker, uh, you know, Josie Jewell spent a lot of time on, on Tuesday talking with us about just how sloppy felt like the tackling was in, in that Iowa State game. And it certainly is, uh, you know, something that I'm sure has been harped on since uh, since Sunday when they returned to the field. And, and I think it's probably something that has been a, a point of focus this week is just getting back to, to playing good old Iowa football in, in terms of being fundamentally and technically sound. And, uh, they kind of strayed a little bit from, from that last week. And some of that had to do with Iowa State, for sure, and the talent that they had on the field. But, uh, you know, I, it wasn't the finest hour for the Iowa defense last week. And, and uh, uh, to Amanda, the guys that we spoke with on Tuesday uh, certainly had, uh, you know, that, that point had been driven home. And, and uh, um, I, I would expect a fairly spirited uh, charge out of the Iowa defense this week. And, and they'll need it. It'll, it'll be, as, as you alluded to, it's going to be another tempo test. Just, uh, this North Texas team likes to push it and, and uh, kind of a, a fast break type offense if, if you put it in a, in a basketball vernacular but uh, it'll be another test. To the point of their turnover problems they had three last week against SMU and that led to 21 of those 54 points that the Mustangs ended up with. The other thing probably for the Iowa defense to prepare in terms of its punch list is the North Texas big plays problem. They, they have the potential to pull off a lot of big plays but the question is can Iowa, how many of those can Iowa keep from ending up in the end so. Yeah, they, I mean they had six of twenty or more yards in, in you know in their in their opener against Lamar and and it this is an offense that is capable of popping big plays at, at virtually any point on the field and uh, you know I was burned a couple of times last week at Iowa State uh, and and I think that that uh, it, it again it. it 
exposes kind of the youth of that secondary. Um, I think it's something that's going to be a work in progress, and Iowa's ability to kind of tighten things up on the back end, I think, will be uh, uh, you know something that uh, will be worth keeping an eye on this week. Quick look at special teams. Miguel Vercinos continues to look pretty steady at place kicker. I think punter is still an open issue here. Rastetter's not showing much of a leg, and Kirk's already said that they'll probably play both him and Ryan Gersandi before the we're too far deep into the season. That might happen this week, maybe. No, yeah, that is a possibility. I think that uh, you know certainly uh, uh, Rastetter's leg has has been fairly average through the first couple of games. It hasn't been terrible, but it, it hasn't been anything really special. We, you know, we haven't seen any of those long booming kicks that we we got used to out of Ryan Kaluzzi a year ago. And and uh, you know, I was going to need a little bit more effectiveness out of that position. Now, whether uh, is in a position to kind of deliver that. We don't know, but we may well get a chance to, to find out this week if the opportunity presents off. And despite what the official depth chart says, Ivory Kelly Martin is likely to continue to be the number one person on kickoffs, not Akram. And that goes to your earlier point about his workload. And, and it looks like Josh Jackson's going to be fielding punts in place of Matt Vandenberg. Yeah, it appears that some changes are, have been made there. And I think probably in both cases, it, 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 the reasoning is twofold. It, certainly, I think uh, with Akram, it's, it's a chance to uh, uh, kind of, uh, you know, use him maybe sporadically there and give him a little bit of a breather before uh, stepping onto the field for the first snap of an offensive series. Uh, I, I think the other thing that's going on there, I think, especially with Kelly Martin, is I think what we're seeing is kind of a growing trust in, in abilities and, and reliability of some of these young kids. And, uh, you know, Iowa has uh, a number of freshmen who, who stepped in this year and have proven to the coaches that they are worthy of being out on the field and, and contributing in some ways and uh, you know we've heard a lot of good things about Ivory Kelly Martin and, and his work as a kick returner uh, going back into into fall camp and and uh, I, I think he you know he had a chance to get on the field against Iowa State and I think that the coaches liked what they saw there and I think they like the potential they see there and uh, you know I think they're going to give the kid a chance until he deserves otherwise and, you know I think we're probably seeing a little bit of the same in Josh Jackson uh, Kirk also mentioned Max Cooper as a possibility as a punt returner on, on Tuesday, another true freshman that uh, is kind of working into uh, into a role, and I think he's probably a player that we'll see there in a return situation or at a receiver uh, spot coming down the stretch here. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, it's just a matter of moving things forward within the program. And, and I think that uh, you know, certainly with the kick returner, with the true freshman, I think that's uh, that's not a bad thing. It's it's a good opportunity for a kid to get on the field, maybe position himself to to help the team in even even additional ways. Uh, uh, in another year when, when both Ackerman and, and James Butler have completed their eligibility. As long as he doesn't try to catch any more kickoffs that are going out of bounds. The lessons to be learned, you know, and, and I think that, that's the other thing, too. I think that uh, you get some of that stuff out of the way, and if you can get if you can get through it without it hurting, hurting you too much, I think it's probably a beneficial thing. All right, let's turn to a quick snapshot of the Big Ten. Big Ten fared reasonably well again last week, but the big loss of course, was Oklahoma at Ohio State, where the Sooners topped the Buckeyes 31-16. to Other than that, and of course, Nebraska getting trounced out in Oregon 42-35. to uh, Not bad for the last week, and not bad for the first two weeks, really. No, it's been a pretty solid start for the conference overall, and you're right. I think uh, the Ohio State loss is probably something, especially coming in Columbus, uh, coming against an Oklahoma team that certainly has a lot of talent, uh, but a an Oklahoma team that had been handled pretty easily by the by the Buckeyes a year ago in Norman, I think, was somewhat surprising. It certainly was a defensive struggle for the first half for both teams, and uh, you know, I think probably the in, inconsistent play of, of, of uh, J.T. Barrett, a great quarterback, has, has been a little bit of a, a, a surprise so far this season. And, and production, I think, is some something that uh, uh, the Barnett is, is going to have to kind of step up his game if he wants to remain in that position at Ohio State. It's pretty fickle. Pretty fickle position there. And the three nice Power 5 wins on the road, not only Iowa at Iowa State, but Indiana with a nice 34-17 win at Virginia, and Minnesota defeated Oregon State out in Corvallis. This week, there's really not much on the schedule that's going to excite a lot of folks. Maybe the Wisconsin at BYU, but Wisconsin hasn't shown a whole lot yet. No, they haven't. Uh, this is kind of their first uh, somewhat major test, and, and they will be without both of their starting guards for that game, so 
it'll be interesting to see how, how the Badgers are able to move the ball. They've been able to effectively run it so far this season, but, uh, um, you know, certainly I think a, a test there. Uh, you know, uh, Purdue at Missouri, I find that a little bit curious as well. Purdue has showed pretty good energy in its first couple of games, and it'll be interesting to see going into Columbia uh, what what transpires in that one. The other matchups, uh, you know, are, are as you've said, there, there's not a lot of sexiness on the schedule the week before the conference season starts in, in earnest. And, you know, Illinois has a Friday night game at South Florida. Lovey Smith's team uh, showed a little bit defensively in, in, in kind of limiting a Western Kentucky team that was known for offense to uh, to seven points last week. So, um, you know, I, that was a very good outing for, for the Illini and a good W for them in the Big Ten. And, and uh, I think that's, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to uh, to this week, I think that's uh, those are the games that I think people are going to keep an eye on. Northwestern, obviously, looking to bounce back against Bowling Green, which uh, following a, a very disappointing performance at Duke last week. Uh, for a veteran Northwestern team that was uh, expected to do some things. So, you know, uh, different teams have different things to play for right now, and, and uh, it's all kind of designed to get you ready for the conference season, which is just right around the corner. Now, speaking of the conference season, the big news probably for most Iowa fans was the shakeup coming when the Big Ten released its schedules for 2020 and 2021. Black Friday against Nebraska is gone. Here come the Badgers as a season ender in those two seasons. Gary Barta did indicate there's a chance, no discussion yet, that one or both of those games could be moved to Black Friday, but some interesting changes, particularly for the West Division. Yeah, absolutely, and and from all indications, this this is going to become kind of a rotation with, with Iowa and Nebraska and Wisconsin and Minnesota kind of swapping final game opponents, so uh, there probably will not be a traditional season-ending opponent for, for those four teams. It looks like it's just going to kind of bounce around uh, you know, whether those are two- or four-year or six-year cycles or what have you remains to be determined, but uh, uh, it appears it's going to be fairly fluid. And, and uh, you know, uh, as Gary Barter said on Tuesday, one of the things he likes about the fact is it's still a border rival, uh, and it's still a rival that uh, that Iowa fans can kind of get excited about. And certainly in Iowa and Wisconsin, those have been the two programs that have been the most consistent in recent seasons, and, and it should be a good matchup. And, and you know, the games have been the two teams kind of built the same way. The games have been, ex- you know, extremely hard hitting and very tough physical, you know, types of games that uh, that you like to see in late November. And uh, and apparently there will be some mixing and matching of final weekend opponents in the East Division as well outside of uh, outside of Ohio State and Michigan. This is it's a change for everybody, and it's something people have to get used to. And um, you know, I think it's uh, um, it's got a chance to uh, to make some interesting matchups late in the season. And, and uh, you know, I, I've never heard an Iowa fan complain about uh, having to play Wisconsin. I heard, I heard some complaints when they weren't playing Wisconsin a couple of years ago when they were in different divisions. But, uh, uh, you know, I think it'll be a good rivalry and uh, some great late-season matchups. You've got the traditional Iowa-Minnesota rivalry, and I would argue that Iowa-Wisconsin over the past maybe 15 years plus is an even even more intense rivalry. And Iowa-Nebraska was building one. Uh, and I think you're not going to see the Illinois Northwestern season interchange, so that does mean the other four teams. And as Barta pointed out, the nice thing for Iowa fans, all of those games are easily drivable. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's kind of the, uh, the best of all worlds for, for for Iowa fans. I mean, you've got a lot of tradition. Obviously, all three of those all three of those opponents are trophy games for Iowa. Uh, they're games that traditionally mean a lot to people. Uh, you know, some may mean a little more in different parts of the state than others, but uh, uh, you know, these, these are matchups that uh, fans want to see. And, you know, and I think the Big Ten, to a degree, what they're trying to do there is kind of appease a lot of people and a lot of constituencies. Uh, if you take a look at the traditional, uh, you know, battle for, for Paul Bunyan's axe between Wisconsin and, and Minnesota, and, and, you know, that hasn't been much of a series in, in recent years. I think, I think the Badgers' last loss in that series was in 2003. So, uh, you know, I, 
I, I think mixing things up a little bit, I think it uh, kind of adds a little something, and, and it certainly is going to add a little something to kind of some of the mid-season games as well, the way things kind of uh, stretch out and, and kind of how they are aligned later in the season. You know, you may have a trip to Nebraska in early November and then come back and have to get ready for, for Illinois and then Wisconsin. So it, it's uh, it's an interesting setup, and, and I think that uh, fans will adjust. I, I, I don't foresee empty stadiums or anything like that. I just see a lot of good, hard-hitting football. And, you know, the the West Division is, is kind of the black and blue division. And, uh, you know, it's it's very typical of the upper Midwest and the style of football. It's very traditional here, both uh, at the college and the pro level. And I think that the uh, the four schools are going to be rotating around in this little uh, season-ending thing. I think they're all very traditional-type uh, football teams built much in the same way. And it should be a fun deal. Back to Iowa, North Texas. We talked about what Iowa tries to need to do. So what's your prediction and final score? Yeah, I think this is a game that Iowa should be able to have some success in, certainly. I think it's, uh, you know, I don't look for anything too sexy this week. I think it's going to be a week where Iowa will be fairly vanilla, do as as little as it has to do, but yet try to be effective and work on some things that they need to work on before the start of Big Ten play. I'll take the Hawkeyes right now. Probably let's go with a a 34-17 score. That is good news. That is good news. Remember triple overtime six years ago, 44-41. Different story today, same score. This has been confirmed. 44-41, Iowa the win in overtime. Call confirmed. Hawkeyes win. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and thanks, as always, to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 11 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time. On HawkeyesMike.com, one passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.